Hey everyone, this is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast. As always, I am your host. I want to get a couple things out of the way to begin with. Um, this is primarily 12-step recovery-based podcast. Uh, if you have had enough and are looking for some relief, uh, you have found the right place. Uh, I encourage you to listen and to uh, poke around the other podcasts because... Uh, as we say in 12-step recovery, someplace else somebody has told your, told your story and you'll relate to it. Also, 12-step spiritual recovery is a group here in Louisville, Kentucky. It can be found on Zoom too. Um, it is 12-step recovery for all. Uh, the 12 steps, there's like 100 12-step fellowships between Narcotics Anonymous, Overeaters, uh, tons of places and uh, but there's never been anybody that just said come as you are and we have started that here in Louisville Kentucky and 12-step tools have helped probably more people than any other mechanism in the universe and you can join us at uh, 12stepspiritualrecovery.com you can find a meeting schedule and a link to the zoom meetings and uh you can maybe you have some room for some more in your life something's missing uh life is not supposed to be like this and uh tssr as we say as we truncate it uh may be the tool you're looking for 12-step spiritual recovery is also a book by james christopher Cohn, and you can find that on amazon so tune in check it out uh, live the life that that you were meant to live all right then we'll get on to my guest tonight my guest tonight's matt uh he seems to go mostly by his last name because i hear him say that a lot and i was going to ask him about how i should title this uh episode um you don't care do you i don't uh clutter matt clutter and most time when i hear him say something he says clutter and and i like that it's cool and to not be embarrassed about you know i don't know i think when i hold my anonymity too close to my heart that stops me from being able to help people i've got to be an open individual out here in this world and when i say my name in a meeting i say hi i'm dan reeves uh and uh so how you doing tonight man I'm doing terribly wonderful. Awesome, yeah. It's a funny thing about this 12-step recovery, how good things can be and how like you just roll along uh, not knowing that things could be this good. Right. Uh, day after day. Uh, and I would imagine our talk tonight will uh, escalate that too. Mm -hmm. uh, I get high on these podcasts. That's the way, uh, you know, we say, I think it's in the 12 and 12, it says that you must have a uh, sufficient substitute, I think, is the is words left. Uh, and I have to have something to fill up the void that the absence of the dope and the booze left behind. And this podcast is one of the ways that fill that void, helping other people, uh, doing, doing the next right thing. Where were you born at? I was born in Corpus Christi, Texas. Were you? Yeah. Texas yeah. boy. When was that? I lived that. That was 1974. 1974. What's your birthday? Uh, January 
It was also the last day that I drank was on my birthday, so my sobriety date is the next day. Oh, really? Yeah. That's very cool, but some years later. Some years later, that would be uh, um, 2020. Cool. How how was your upbringing? What was your family life like? You know, I've heard a lot of people share their story that have had some some, uh, hard upbringings and and alcoholic households, and that's not part of my story. Um, you know, I was in a, a religious household and, uh, my, I was born in Corpus Christi. I only lived there for five days. Oh, really? And so I can't tell you much about it. You know, uh, my dad was in the Navy and, uh, so we lived anywhere. There was a Naval base, whether that was Virginia beach or, or Pensacola, Florida or Italy or, uh, and we settled back in Louisville because that's where my parents were from. Uh, oh, really? when my Original. dad got out of the Navy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I was in, you know, it was right before kindergarten, maybe. Really? Yeah. 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 I actually live right next to where I went to kindergarten now, which is kind of full circle. But Yeah. Uh, so uh, around five or six years old, you moved back to the Louisville, Kentucky that's right. area, and you've been there ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. Uh, and your dad retired at that point? Yeah. He had left the Navy uh, with an injury and uh, uh, could no longer fly anymore. He was a pilot. And so uh, he came back to Louisville and ended up uh, uh, as a postal worker. And uh, so, you know, his back wasn't good enough to fly planes. government job. But it was good enough to carry mail, and he did that for quite some time and and took care of me and and my uh, four brothers. Four brothers. That's right. That's going to be my next question was, how many siblings do you have? I'm the oldest of four. So like Uh, Oldest of five. I can't lay my alcoholism at the foot of my upbringing because I had a great, uh, I can't. Although my mom leaned towards addiction issues more on the pharmaceutical side, uh, I didn't have a childhood that I've sit across this table and listened to some people have it that go, oh, you know, I can go, oh, shit, no wonder you're, (laughs) because the fact of the matter is a lot of people that end up in our rooms. Yeah. I've had horrible childhoods. They really have. And, and you know, we look for similarities and not differences. And exactly. I've heard some other people share some stuff like that. But I've also heard a lot of people where I could understand how easy it was for them to end up alcoholic. And I, I thought that's really not how it happened for me. The hardest thing about growing up in my family was that there wasn't any alcohol in the house. I had yeah. to go out and find it, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and I did, you yeah. know. That was your... When you started school and all that, how'd you do? What'd you think? What, so I grew up it? in this this Christian school environment. And it was very very small. It was in the basement of a spirit filled church, and um, you know there was probably a hundred kids that went to this school in between um, first and twelfth uh, um, grade, and uh, I started going to that school. I think I was in third grade. And uh, we were part of that church, and I started going to that school, and everybody had a uniform, and everybody, you know, I was very sheltered, you know. And um, um, I was resentful for that for a time, and uh, it did cause me to really urge to go out and and, uh, seek, because I'm a seeker. Uh, But uh, I... um, 
I'm grateful for that opportunity now that that time I could look back and think about how that they were just trying to protect me from the world as it yeah. is. Isn't it interesting yeah. when we look through the rearview mirror. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Back to what it was really like. Yeah. I didn't really fit in very well at that school. I was kind of a weird kid, kind of a weird guy, and uh, I never but, felt real comfortable in my own skin. There you go. Yeah, that's a, that's. Yeah. Uh, I, I talk about bell ringers and yeah. on the podcast. Yeah, and not feeling comfortable in their own skin. Yeah, it's that's never really huh? felt like I fit in. I had to like watch other kids to try to figure out how I was supposed to act. Yeah. Uh, it was always me and them, right? You yeah. know, and I can still feel that way a lot. Yeah, you me know. Too. Uh, like it's me and them, you know, um, and definitely um, the the twelve spec twelve step aspect to this, and and the and the AA is what I do, and uh, you know I found uh, some some comfortability among my peers there for sure. Yeah, yeah. I you found know. me. Yeah, and uh, so I didn't start. To, I started uh, smoking cigarettes when I was fourteen. That's your gateway drug. Yeah, Mine for sure. Too, man. I mean, for sure nicotine's a bitch and i'm still uh still struggling with that a little bit i've i've uh, set a date to to quit smoking and it, it it is getting close <laughs> and i and and i am full of fear and have begun to pray about that you know but uh um you know you it can looks do like it, I had you that know. head change from that yeah it was like whoa sure i mean fuck i about passed out on the it was yeah. across the street from New Orleans High School at the pizza place across the street. Oh, yeah. And we were leaning against the front, man. I had to sit down on the windowsill. And I was like, oh, wow. Right. And, okay, what else does this to you? That was the first it one. it didn't do it to me too long. And there was consequences with that because I wasn't allowed to smoke cigarettes, and it caused... Uh, strife in my family and and with my parents and and I continued to smoke and back then you could buy a pack of cigarettes and be underage you know it's yeah, harder to right, do that yeah, now yeah. and that doesn't change anything but I I certainly was off smoking uh, cigarettes until I uh, discovered some some pot you know I was a skateboarder and and one of the older guys that would skateboard with us had some pot sometime and and I got turned on to that and and that was it for me I was going to be uh, a pothead and that was who I was I had found myself and that the became key. that was the most important thing to me uh, and that was uh, in, I think it was in between the summer of 8th grade and ninth grade and I ended up starting public school after all those years of going to that little tiny Christian school at Fern Creek High School and uh, and went in uh, um, looking to smoke more pot you know and I, again, I was a weird kid because I had been in this sheltered environment. And so I came into that environment and I didn't fit in and I didn't understand the slang and I didn't know what was going on. I wasn't familiar with popular music or yeah. any trends that might be happening. And uh, I had no friends. And uh, it was, it was uh, overwhelmingly frightening for me. And I ended up finding comfortability with... Um, the punk rock type crowd oh, yeah. because they were kind of uh, weird on purpose, see? Yeah. And so I, I, I became intentionally weird. You know, you didn't need a lot of money to be a punk rocker. You just had to rip up your jeans and, and do your hair funny and stuff. And uh, and so I fell in with that crowd and uh, um, 
I had a, like a mohawk. I shaved my head into a mohawk and all this nonsense, you know, really elaborate, really out of there. And uh, what did your parents think about that? Uh, they were not big fans of of this lifestyle change in me at all, and uh, it caused some strife. Yeah. And uh, they were busy with, you know, my brothers were younger. My dad was working two jobs, and we lived in a really nice place and um, out there in the suburbs, but he had to work really hard for it. My mom had to stay at home and raise these kids, and they didn't have enough time to constantly follow me around and make yeah. sure I wasn't smoking cigarettes and pot and, yeah. you know, all the things that I was doing, you know, shaving my head and acting crazy. And, and there's also some, you know, I deal with it now. What could they have done? Oh, sure. Thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was nothing that was going to keep my, me. Another one of my favorite lines in that blue book, uh, burning energy foolishly. Mm -hmm. They could have burnt their energy foolishly trying to track down Matt and what he was doing, or they could have carried on with what they needed to get done. Well, they told me that I either needed to not behave this way or, uh, or, or, or leave. Mm. And I left. Did you? I did. I left. Uh, I ran away when I was 15 years old. Mm. And uh, I was out for probably, I don't know, nine months or something like that. That's a pretty you know. good time though for another 15 years old. I was running around the highlands and uh, sleeping in people's garages. And when you're young, you can get away with that type stuff. You know, it didn't feel like homelessness, yeah. you know what right. I mean? Yeah. And just, you know, band of bad kids. And, uh, you know, I ended up getting uh, brought back home and, uh, you know, my parents didn't know what to do with me, so I had a, a out-of-control warrant, and we went to court, and they uh, put me in foster care. Oh, did they? And the guy that, that showed up at foster care was a member of that church from before, mm -hmm. and he was, he was an alcoholic. He was one of us, and he recognized that in me. Mm -hmm. And so I went to stay with them. Uh, for some time. So he's a recovered alcoholic? He was active? in recovery. Okay. Yeah. I believe he was a Narcotics Anonymous. Okay. And uh, I was 15, you know, yeah. something like 16. Um, and uh, I got caught using there. Uh, I think it was marijuana. I was still learning how to drink back then. Yeah. If I got anything to drink, I would drink to excess. But I didn't get, it wasn't as easy to get right. alcohol yeah. as pot it was man at the pot. The yeah. card you. That's right, yeah. you know. And uh, so I went to treatment for the first time when I was 15 years old. And I was uh, at Our Lady of Peace. Wow. And I did a 28-day stint. And I, I just had the best time. I uh, learned all about drugs. Uh, that I didn't know about. I remember at this point in time, they were telling us that uh, that heroin was very addictive and the cocaine wasn't. And I, I made sure to make note of that. <laughs> and uh, I went to a couple 12-step meetings. I couldn't tell you what took place there. I remember introducing myself as cross-addicted because some, the guy next to me introduced himself as that. And I yeah, thought right. that sounded cool. Yeah. And there was a girl in there that I was just smitten with. And, and, the, and all I remember is her. And so I got out before she did. And uh, she got a pass, a weekend pass. I guess her insurance was better than mine. So I had to get out at 28 days. And she got to stay for 90. And I went over to see her on that pass, and she told me she was leaving, and she was going to go to Cincinnati, and she had friends there. 
And so again, I ran away, you know, and I was in Cincinnati for uh, over a year, you know, and uh, and we were immediately together, and that was the punk rock palace, right? You know, yeah. And uh, we we're up there by Bogarts and all that type of stuff, and and uh, you know, just acting crazy and and drinking and doing other drugs, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, LSD was a big one for me. Mm, me too. I'll tell you, the first experience that I had with that was on my my uh, first day of my sophomore year. Um, I came to school, and some of those older punk rockers were there, and I really looked up to these guys. And they asked me if I had ever done acid, and I told them I had, and I hadn't. And uh, they gave me a hit, and I, and I dosed in the <laughs> first period. Uh, on the first day of uh, my sophomore year. Thank God my buddies didn't give it to me at school time. They gave it to me in the evening. These guys, man, I'm telling you. So I came looking for this guy. About an hour later, I asked to go to the bathroom, and I went and found this guy in art class. And I told him he needed to take me home. I was freaking out. And he, we I left bet. school. I bet. And I rode on the back of his motorcycle over to this other guy's house who had graduated and and was just living at home. I guess his mom was at work. And we went over there, and he said, this guy's freaking out on that acid you gave me, you know. And uh, <laughs> he said, well, what he needs is a drink, you know. That'll chill him out. So my my first experience with that was, was it was Bartles and James wine coolers. And I don't know if you remember those. They yeah, had a sure. tinfoil on the top. Uh -huh, I don't yeah. think they make those anymore. If they do, they're so not either. real part. We're probably popular. about the same age, I think. Yeah, probably. Well, you said 74. Yeah. I'm 69 model. All right. Yeah. So in the same neighborhood. Yeah, I remember them. But I'll tell you, the reason that I bring this story up is because this is the this really defines what alcoholism, alcoholism looks like for me. I, I, um, I was freaking out on the LSD. I drank some wine coolers listened to some Pink Floyd and chilled out and therefore about three hours everything was perfect right. it was the best that it had ever been if life could only yeah. be this way all the time but then I proceeded to drink too many of those wine coolers <laughs> and get sick and I couldn't go home because I was drunk so I stayed at this guy's house all night long so I go to school on the first day of school cut school leave school high on acid Nobody sees me again, and my parents don't know where I'm at, and I stay out all night long without even coming yeah, home. I'm basically missing. Am I? You know? And this is before I ended up in treatment. My story's a little out of order, but I thought of this this time because it really shows, you know, how my brain works because by the time I got home, I was in so much trouble, and I was hungover, and I'd been up all night, and uh, that uh, after, you know, a good scolding, nothing bad was really going to happen to me. I went down to my room in the basement and I decided that I was just going to kill myself. Mm. I wasn't going to deal with any of this, these consequences. Fuck see? this bullshit. And I got a belt out and I tied that around my neck and I tied it to a rafter in the basement and I got on a chair and I kicked the chair out from under me and I went unconscious. And uh, I woke up on the floor. And the belt had broke, and I'd hit my head, my head was bleeding, and nobody ever knew about this. Mm. And the reason that I bring that up is because the next morning I got up, and I went to school and asked that guy if he could get me any more acid. Yeah, right. I didn't remember the freaking out part and being so confused yeah. that I had to go and find him. I, I didn't remember the uh, getting sick and being too drunk to go home I didn't remember the guilt shame and remorse that I had after staying out all night all I remember was that three hours where everything was perfect what does it say is it a 
can't remember the uh, more so a week or a month ago yeah. and sometimes I couldn't remember last night I stayed focused on that 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 one part of that it was really the smallest part of that was those three hours where everything was perfect and I proceeded to chase the combination of those things together for what turned out to be 30 years you know my sobriety dates on my 45th birthday and I didn't uh, I didn't have any type of sobriety in between between I, uh, we uh, you just are like ringing off bell ringer after bell ringer of me too because it was, <laughs> and I don't even know, fourteen, yeah. fifteen years old. Yeah, and somebody said, "Hey man, you ever tried acid?" <laughs> and uh, and and I didn't lie. I said no, but I'm willing to. <laughs> and bam, man, just things started taking off and. Um, and I remember sitting back in my bedroom listening to Pink Floyd, uh, wondering if I should just end it all right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just it it hit me like a hammer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can you know again it's rearview mirror stuff. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't see it then, but mm-hmm. to look back, yeah, man. Go uh, ahead. So I get arrested in uh, in Cincinnati. And I've been living up there for over a year. I get arrested. Uh, I was drinking heavily. I worked at a restaurant. Back then, you just give them your social security number, I guess, and they just paid me. I don't know. Nobody, it never flagged me that I was runaway, you know, or that I was even too young to, to really be working. I think mm-hmm. I might have been 16 at this point. And I got, and I had, you know, met that girl in treatment, and I was with her. And we were up there, and I got brought back to Louisville. And my parents were very forgiving. They were just glad for me to be home. I had been gone for quite some time, you know. And uh, I had to go back to school, and they had just started uh, Jefferson County High School, which was like a, a three-hour-a-day type of type of school. Hmm. And I was uh, one of the first ones in line when they opened this up. Over And I uh, met one of my best friends that I'm going to – go see later tonight and uh that helped me into this program i met him in that line hmm. and me and a couple of other buddies started going to this uh three hour a day school and uh you know because they knew we weren't going to do the all day you know if we could just do three hours you know it's the bare minimum right Baby steps. and then i met all the other bad kids man you know and uh i ended up going to that school downtown at aaron's uh on first street mm-hmm. and uh that's where um, I was uh, selling joints in the Peace Park across the street to the kids that went to Brown School. That's where I met my first wife. Two dollars a piece, three for five. Three dollars a piece. I mean, oh, was it? Yeah, it was, yeah, maybe two for five. Yeah, that sound that rings a bell. I, I yeah. don't know why that gets me, but I remember joints for three, two dollars a piece or three for five. When I met this, I met this gentleman down there that uh, introduced me to uh, a lace joint. And that was uh, crack cocaine. Mm. And uh, once again, I was off and running. And I chased uh, chased that all over the hood, all over old Louisville. And, uh, you know, around the time that I was turning 17 and 18, and, and that stuff had a hold on me for a couple of years. And uh, that little girl that I'd met at Brown School would look after me. She would come and check on me. Mm. And, uh, and, uh, my life got real unmanageable real quick. There's a whole lot of stories in those two two years of of, of uh, freebasing cocaine mm-hmm. that uh, took me to a real dark places real quick. And I'm a young guy, 
and I'm drinking, uh, you know, malt liquor and and running around and knocking on doors in the Carter Homes projects and uh, and uh, putting myself in incredibly dangerous situations. And one time, this little girl came to see me, and I had smoked all the rent money, and I had a two roommates, and I'm probably 18, maybe even 19 now, and. Uh, we had smoked all the rent money on crack and there was no rent money and the roommates were mad at me and I'd lost my job and everything. And I said, I've got to get away from smoking this crack. And I said, you know, it's the LSD and the alcohol mixture that's perfect for me. And I just have to leave Louisville and get away from crack cocaine. And uh, I said, I'm going to go uh, up to the Grateful Dead show. They're, they're playing up in Indiana. And uh, that's where that LSD comes from. I'm going to go up there and get me some. And I'm just going to follow the Grateful Dead. And... Uh, and and and, and uh, do the good drugs, and we get away from these bad drugs. She was about seventeen. She said, "I'll go with you." So she picked me up, and the next day, off we went. Man, we just abandoned everything. Just yeah. packed it up and left. We just packed it up and left. Um, there was no internet back then. If there was, I didn't have a hold of it yet. Uh, there, there definitely wasn't uh, cell phones in our pockets and right. stuff. Yeah. So uh, I was about a week early for the Grateful Dead concert. <laughs> <laughs> and we end up up there living in a cornfield, helping out a campsite that was expecting a big crowd for this show. And uh, you know, it's the early '90s and kind of the end of the Grateful Dead. That was a um, great time, time man. The early yeah. '90s was yeah. a great time. It was a great time. You know, <laughs> it was a very popular place to do that type of stuff, and and we got to do quite a few shows together, um, and bond and spend some time. And and I, and again, I was right there where I wanted to be. You know, the dark beer and the combination of the LSD and uh, you know a lot yeah, of fun. I love the trip, yeah. man. Yeah. It was it was the best, and Still it was brings in my back and that my sense ear. of family community. Here's everybody that's that's doing what I'm doing too, yeah. and it turned out to not be the case as things progressed for me. But I really thought, you know, we're all doing this. I'm not abnormal here. Yeah, we're all in you know? this together. And it was the cocaine that was the problem, and I'm not going to do that anymore. And uh, and about. A year later, I end up back in Louisville because, you know, she that, that girl wasn't even 18, and she had stole her mom's car, and so we had to come home and deal with some stuff, or they were going to lock me up. And if you want to get my attention, you just threaten to put me in jail because I don't want to go to jail. Yeah. So we come back to Louisville, and uh, we come back to Louisville, and now we're deadheads, and uh, I meet a deadhead in the apartment uh, that I'm living in, and he's got a whole bunch of cocaine. And keep in mind, I'd never Whoops. even I'd never even snipped cocaine, sniffed cocaine. I'd just been smoking crack. Okay. So that was the problem, right? You know, don't don't freebase it, man. Just sniff it, you know. And if you can get some, I was working at a restaurant, and so I'm I'm going to sell some cocaine at the restaurant, and uh, so I can afford it. And uh, that landed me in 1995. Uh, the DEA came in, you know, and I had some cocaine and uh i had trafficked cocaine mm. and somebody had wore a wire over there and there was some pot growing in the attic mm. and um you know they locked us up they locked me up and they locked they locked that girl up that i was oh, dating right. you know get her too. yeah and they held her for longer than me they let me out before her wow and uh i talked to her on the phone and and she was very upset and uh she said you're gonna marry me when you get out of here aren't you and i said yeah I will. i'll marry you you know and i did you know we were on both on probation 
and uh, they wanted to put me in prison and her mom paid a lawyer and kept us out of prison cost her a lot of money mm. and uh you know i went ahead and uh got engaged you know and uh to this girl and i was gonna make it up to her and again it was cocaine's fault never once did it cross my mind that this whole lifestyle was out to get me you know i could always pinpoint it the resentment was towards the guy that wore the wire over there it was the cocaine that got me in trouble cocaine bad drinking good so uh on probation i i'm still smoking pot on probation i had five years on the shelf for trafficking cocaine Mm -hmm. if i would have pissed dirty they would have put me in prison for five years and i'm still rationalizing well i can smoke for three weeks and then take a week off and drink cranberry juice and piss clean and uh and my drinking begin to you know add up a little bit more because you can get away with that you know that's socially acceptable right Right. now i'm 21 and uh you know i amazingly got through that probation Uh, i don't know how same thing here man i I skated through stuff i got my first dui when i was 16 and they were testing me and i i made sure to do good you know as bill says in the book there were periods of sobriety yeah and uh although i wasn't on i wasn't doing things right necessarily and then i got another one when i was 19 and the same thing happened over again somehow i seemed to be able to just skate the consequences uh i i have no answer for that it's mm-hmm. just uh hell it was until i was 45 years old before the consequences got heavy enough right that right. i actually took some action against it Well, before that probation's up, she ends up getting pregnant. Uh-oh. How, how do girls get pregnant? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> I love that, too, man. I, always, I, I trace I it hear, back to a tent hear, in Key West. I know. ended up pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you just ended up. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so this is going to change me, right? Because I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to get in any more trouble. And I'm going to figure this out. Yeah, this is going to change me. I'm going to get my shit together. And I'm not going to quit drinking, you know, because drinking's good. Cocaine bad. Drinking good. That's me being good. You know, me having beer, you know. So I get a job as a bartender at the Olive Garden because, you know, (laughs) I need to be real close to that liquor. And I worked there for seven years, and and I started landscaping during the day. I worked really hard at landscaping and uh, did a lot of neat work and learned that business. And, uh... For the most part, I stayed away from that cocaine. As long as you didn't offer it to me or, you know, I didn't go seek it. But if it was there, you know, I, I have no power over that stuff, you know. And uh, but um, for the most part, if I don't do the cocaine and I'm drinking uh, at work and in the evenings, I'm stay at home dad during the day. We worked opposite shifts and we're working it out, you know, and uh I went on for some time like that and um you know the guy that i cut grass or that i that i landscaped with cut grass on fridays and on fridays he had this nice commercial mower and he'd get it out and we'd go cut about 10 lawns for his his good customers and we'd always stop at a mexican restaurant and get a 32 ounce dosecki for lunch and friday was my favorite day of the week yeah and uh, a couple years later he said uh I'm going to quit cutting grass, you know. It doesn't pay as much as this other work we're doing. I'm going to sell the lawnmowers and stuff. 
And I said, well, I'm going to buy the lawnmower from you and I'm just going to cut grass. And then I, and I did. And every day was Friday after that. Yeah. And I mean to tell you, I was 30 years old when I bought that company from him, when I bought that lawnmower and he gave me a couple clients with it. And, uh, and I went and, and got a Dosecki every day for lunch. Um, until my 45th birthday. And that would start me every day with that Dosecki. And as the little kid was getting older, I was staying away from the cocaine unless somebody put one in front of me. And uh, we had some blessings. Um, you know, her parents helped us and this and that. And the, the business actually began to take off. I was good at working, you know, and I'm clever. And uh, I was making a living. You and I was doing pretty good. As a man, many yeah. of us are workers, yeah. man. We're oh, good yeah. workers. Yeah. Functioning. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I would get me that beer every day, and then uh, I would just start drinking after work, and then pretty soon it just was continuously, you know, from lunch on yeah. after a few years. And, uh, um, you know, I I remember telling people that I didn't drink in the morning, but <laughs> I stumble out of bed with a hangover at 9 a.m., and you get that first 32-ounce Dos Equis at 11.30 when they open the, the Mexican restaurant. And uh, it's, might as well be drinking in the morning, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's yeah. only, only yeah. an hour and a half. Say, I, didn't, I didn't drink at work. And yeah. Once the rearview mirror became clear, yeah. I realized, uh, yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I start believing some of this stuff that I'm feeding myself, you right. know? Can't tell the truth from the false what they say and uh you know that drinking just got heavier and heavier and that phenomenon of craving got worse and worse you know and uh i drank with people after work in my neighborhood the other blue collar guys that like to drink and they would always go home and i would always have trouble stop drinking you know and i would yeah. catch myself climbing going over home? Fences. Hold on. yeah what the fuck uh. i'd sneak in people's garages my neighbor's garages at night and get the rest of their beer because I had run out. Yeah. That craving would be so bad. Right. And then the next morning, I'd have to come out and explain that I got in their garage. and I'd bring back. them some beer home from work today, you know. And they'd just laugh, you know. But uh, it was lonely. It was it was a struggle. I could, I you know, began. We laugh about it a little bit yeah. now, man, but it's not funny. Yeah, it wasn't. You know, it was, it was, had overtaken me and I had, was spending my entire life in my garage, uh, around alcohol. Mm -hmm. And, uh, once my daughter graduated from high school and went to college, she moved out hmm. and then the cocaine came back, uh, you know, now I can party now I'm successful and, uh, I can afford it. And, uh, you know, something that had almost wiped me off the planet twice in my life is uh is back in my pocket yeah you know um all the time and then i can't have a beer without a bump and a bump without a beer and uh i did the same thing with pain pills man couldn't take a pain pill without a beer couldn't have a beer without pain pills so i decided pain pills were going to get me off the cocaine oh yeah substitute yeah so then i'm doing pain pills in the morning you know percocet mm -hmm. tens in the morning so it'll make you, you know, feel good in the morning then i need that alcohol in the morning uh i can't make it till eleven thirty anymore you know five perks a day switch to cocaine after lunch 
you know, and I'm deep into it, and I'm up by myself in the middle of the night with a tear in my beer, crying yeah. into the radio Look, every single night. I have a distinct memory of looking myself in the mirror and talking to myself going, God damn, Dan, is this the dude you are? Is this mm-hmm. really who you are? Yeah. And uh, at some level, there was a relinquishment that, okay, it was almost like when we talk about acceptance. At some point, I accepted that that's who I was, that that's just the man I would be. I remember saying that to myself. Some people drink and some people don't. Yep. And I used to say that. And it was just part of it. It was part of it, but I became more and more miserable. Um, And so I started to notice... um, some recovery stuff i was still into the dead even though jerry was gone and i would go to the the dark star jubilee there's a big cover band that plays up in ohio and i would go to their their uh thing once a year on memorial day and that particular i would run into that friend that old friend from high school um that he had been worse than me you know back in the day and his his progressed faster than mine so i got to see what that looked like you know and i compared myself to not being as bad as him right you know and then i would see him and he would be sober and if he could get sober anybody could get sober and i knew that and and uh as years went by as him being sober he would come to those events with a group of sober people the yellow groom the the yellow Yellow balloon balloon groups you know and he was a wharf rat is what they called us and i began to pay attention to them you know, I mean, and begin to notice them and their stickers and that, and the fact that they were all happy and shiny, right? And yeah, they were still happy. Yeah, right. I expected the sober people to be right. like gloom. Yeah. You know, God damn, I gotta be sober again today. They weren't uh, fighting. What it you know? was, it was a smiles and happiness and. There wasn't all the anger that followed the alcoholism with me. I was always messing stuff up. You know, people were always angry at me, stumbly. And uh, I think that uh, that was my first glimpse into the fact that recovery worked and that it was even available for somebody like me because I had separated myself. My, my alcoholic life had become normal and I was a, a deadhead type dude and I, and I was self-employed and I had all these, I had built this whole city around me where I could drink. I didn't drive after dark. I drive around all day in Oldham County in a giant truck with a trailer, you know, drinking, but I had all these rules set in place so that I could be yeah. functioning, yeah. right? But I was yeah, I looked back at yeah. my life and I said, No way I have alcoholism. A guy that has alcoholism doesn't have all the things I have. Mm-hmm. And now I've got the the alcohol uh, has gotten stronger. I need the bourbon at night because I'm already drinking 24-7 the beer. So, you know, I got to drink bourbon at night. And once you take the cap off, you lose the cap. And I remember telling the, trying to explain to my liquor store guy, he said, why are you buying these Evan Williams 20 carry packs? You know, they're $20. You're buying two. Why don't you just buy the handle? Save you money, you'll get more bourbon. And see, he doesn't understand alcoholism because that's the measurement, right? Yeah. I got one for the car. I got one for the house. I got one in the fridge that looks like I'm not drinking it that I got to keep full, you know. And, uh, you know, I've got one in my suitcase when I go to visit my parents, even though I drink all their bourbon. You know what I mean? And I've always got the carry pack with me, you know what I mean? Because yeah, then I've always you know, got a thing going on. And now I'm doing the pain pills that I started doing to stop doing the cocaine. I'm physically addicted to them. I'm doing the cocaine to have fun. 
because there's no serotonin from the alcohol anymore. There's no fun. I need the cocaine to, to, to get any type of joy, right? Um, or, 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 or have sex or do any other type of normal uh, stuff that uh, happy people do when they drink. Because I'm no longer happy when I drink. I just drink to, yep. to stay drunk. Yeah. And uh, it's starting to wear on me, man. And it's just me in the garage every night after everybody's going to bed. And I'm tired. I'm not sleeping well. I'm drinking. Can't stop drinking. And uh, talk myself into it every day. Every day I'm not going to drink. You know, I'm going to get it out of my system this weekend and not drink Monday. My business starts to fail a little bit because I'm not doing my paperwork. I'm not paying my taxes. And uh, my marriage starts to fail. You know, I've been married 20 years at this point And, uh, you know, I'm strung out. I've, I'll keep it on me. but uh, Make it her fault. That's what I did. I mean, well, nah, if I you made it about her. You're going to drink like I did for 30 years. You better have you a good enabler. Yeah. Takes the wheel. I'm seeing double pays my tickets when I speed. You know, she could, she didn't, she didn't have a chance with me either. So she starts to, to pull away from me. Yeah. You know, and, uh, can't blame her. I can't blame her. I really can't. I did it. I did. I did. (laughs) I did at some point when I did this work, I figured out where the problem really lied. So the best thinking that I have at this point is that the pain pills have caused me trouble. I got a new vice. I'm still doing the cocaine. I'm still drinking. I've got added the bourbon. I should probably bring back the LSD. <laughs> have a religious experience. See, I used to be spiritual. You know, I used to enjoy myself. I'm thinking back to these nights in Deer Creek and, you know, Buckeye Lake with the Grateful Dead. And everything was perfect. Everything was beautiful, you know. And I've got to get back to that. That's happiness, you know. But I, but LSD, that's that's pretty hard stuff, you know. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, I better research this. We have the internet now. So I put in pot. My my little brother's working for me. He's helping me uh, cut grass because I can't do my work myself. My little lawn service, and he listens to podcasts all day. So I type in LSD into the podcast because I wanted to learn some information about it. I just come into LSD and the wife's kind of like, the last thing you need to be doing is taking LSD. You're going to fry your brain, you know? And uh, so I wanted to check and make sure that was okay, you know? And I stumble upon this podcast that had just started called Dopey. And uh, Dopey is these two heroin addicts that met in treatment in New York City and they start this podcast and, uh, if you haven't heard it, you should. I'll take it out. And uh, but they're in early recovery. They, you know, I think one had three months and the other had six or nine or something like mm-hmm. that. And they start us as a war story podcast. And the the thing that they're after is this. You know, when you're in treatment, you meet somebody and you tell them war stories. You have fun talking about those war stories. Kind of like what I'm having fun doing it tonight yeah, with yeah, you. Yeah. You know. And uh, so they start it with that being the format as they're getting sober, as they're working the steps. And so I, this becomes my favorite podcast. And I begin to listen to this every day while I'm drinking and doing all these drugs every day because I've got these earphones on and I, I cut grass all day. And so I, I just episode after episode, I'm catching up with these guys and I'm seeing them work the steps. They're not even a recovery podcast at this point, but I see a change within them. Yeah. You know? So I decide to contact that war fret friend of mine and tell him, 
I've got it's the end of the season. There's a new season coming up, and I had a hard winter. I was broke. I had spent all my money, and uh, I thought, man, I'm going to run my business in the ground. I've got to sober up before I hire a new crew because the crew finds out you're drinking all the time and they disrespect me, you know. And uh, nobody works, and I'm not I'm not managing my life. I'm going to have to give up the alcohol. I'm not giving up anything else, but I'm definitely giving up the alcohol. Now it's the alcohol's fault. The alcohol and the cocaine. And so I call him up and I ask him, you know, about how he got sober, you know, being a hippie like like we are, a deadhead, you know, because we're different than everybody else in my mind. And he brings me to an AA meeting down in the Highlands on a Saturday night. And man, I was like, where am I at? You know? Uh, I wasn't ready for all that stuff. I'm looking around. You know, they read the readings and everybody chants, you know what I mean? You know? And uh, freaked me out, you know what I mean? This guy gets up and he celebrates 30 years of continuous sobriety. And I'm thinking, you're here on a Saturday night and you haven't had a drink in 30 years? This shit doesn't work, obviously. I'm like, this is in the basement of a church. These are the church people that drink too much. They send them here and stuff in church, you know? I was like, I'm not one of these people, you know. I can't be. Um, I need to prove that I can do this by going 30 days. So I went to four of those meetings, and I went 30 days without getting drunk. Now, I had a couple of drinks because at this point I'm physically addicted to alcohol. So the first day I had three beers, the second day I had two, and the next day I had one. And then I white-knuckled it the rest of the time, and it was the hardest thing I've ever done. I took extra pain pills, and I smoked a whole bunch of pot. And at this point, I'm not even into pot anymore, right? Because I'm such an alcoholic, it gives me the spins. But I had some around, so I smoked a bunch of pot. And I get 30 days. And instead of getting up and getting a one-month chip, I went out and got drunk. And uh, a month later, I'm drinking at work in the morning again in front of my new crew. In the morning. And uh, things begin to fall apart. I have another uh, year there. This is 2019. I have another year where I'm drinking uh, at work, and now I'm by myself. The crew's gone. I'm miserable. I'm just out cutting grass by myself, and uh, things aren't good at home. You know, the drugs and alcohol just aren't working anymore. I'm miserable. I'm up all night chasing this buzz, man, and I'm just so unhappy. And uh, but I can't quit at this point. I've I've failed AA, and that wasn't for me, you know. Yep. And uh, you know, I told you my wife was pulling away, and she begins to start not coming home at night. Hmm. And uh, this gives me resentment, and of course I drink over it, and uh, telling me that nothing's wrong and. Don't worry about it. And she just needs some space, you know. But she's done with me. And uh, people don't change. And she's not even telling me this. She's just done. And uh, I begin to get really hurt over this. I, she's telling me, you know, you need to pick the alcohol or pick me. And I, I can't do that. I can't stop drinking. And uh, so she's pulling away. So finally... Finally, I get mad and I leave, which is what she's been waiting for. Yeah. And uh, I pack all my stuff up on my dump truck because the only thing I got left, I had a drunken yard sale and I sold all my lawn equipment. Uh, You know, I sold my biggest lawnmower to the dope man. 
Mm. And uh, tell you, man, I end up with all my stuff on the back of a dump truck in in the rain in the winter, and I'm I'm dead broke, man. And uh, I post that Volkswagen. I've got that old Volkswagen bus that doesn't run, hadn't run in 20 years, mm. up for sale because I need some cash, you know? Yeah. And a buddy of mine sees that on the Facebook marketplace, and he calls me at 6 o'clock in the morning. He says, Have you, are you drunk? Have you lost your mind? Are you selling that old Volkswagen? And I just put an engine in that for you a couple of years ago. He said, all you had to do is finish it out. You ain't done nothing. So you're going to sell it? You know, he said, don't sell it. So what's going on with you? So well, I'm out. I'm sleeping at a rest stop, and I need some money and stuff. And he said, "Well, just come down to my house and uh, tow that Volkswagen over here, you know." And so I do, and I go down there, and he's got this house down on Algonquin Parkway, and the back of the house is falling in, caved in, and there's no heat or air down there. And he stores his motorcycles down there. He's a motorcycle mechanic, hmm. and uh, you know he's growing some weed in the front room. And this turned out to be uh, where I got sober. You know, and uh, he said, you know, you could stay here and help me fix the walls that are coming down in the back up, and uh, I'll help you fix your Volkswagen. You know, cost you a few thousand bucks. Don't sell it, and you'll never be homeless again. You always have that Volkswagen. You know, so it seemed like a good idea to me, and uh, so I start start helping him. But I'm drinking. I'm I'm so mad at the ex or soon to be X that I'm, I'm starting to drink uh, even worse and I'm having blackouts and I'm, I'm threatening to hurt her or, or burn the house down and stuff. Mm. Behaviors that I haven't had up to this point that have scared me, you know. And I'm hearing about them from like my daughter, you know. And, uh, and I'm realizing, you know, I, st- I take a drink, I, I, you know, I, I fiend for that drink in the morning, I finally take a drink and then I come to a couple of days later. I'm unemployed. I've closed my business. Um, I sold the dump truck and bought a truck for five hundred dollars, and uh, living off that money. And uh, I start thinking, if I don't do something soon, I'm gonna end up homeless. You know, this guy's let me stay here. I haven't fixed up nothing around here yet. You know, there's rats in the house, and uh, I'm having hallucinations when I don't drink. I'm running around the house with a hammer, smashing holes in the wall, trying to kill the thousands of rats I think are in the house. Mm. Probably only one, but. And so it's my birthday, right? It's my 45th birthday. And uh, I'm going to go out and drink. And I asked my buddy to take me because I don't drive at night. You know, I got rules. And he takes me out, and boy, I have a humdinger, man. I just do everything and anything I can do. And I come home that morning, and the birds are chirping, and the sun is up, and that guy is exhausted, and he's asleep over in the corner, you know. And I am I have this moment of clarity, man. Mm. It's like I had drank myself sober or enough of the whatever had outweighed the alcohol or something, but I am just wide awake, and I'm standing there with the phone yelling at my soon-to-be ex-wife, and I just like wake up and I see myself in the mirror and there's white shit all over my face and I'm screaming into the phone and I'm staying in this little house with the rats and no uh, heating and air and and I just sat down on the mattress that I had that didn't have any sheets on it, you know? Mm. And I was like, how far am I going to chase this? 
how much am I going to give this drinking and drugging, man? I'm 45 years old. I first learned about recovery when I was 15. Yeah. And I have been bucking this and fighting this and trying to figure out a way to get back to that experience, you know, that I had when I was a kid. And I'm losing everything. And I don't even know if I want to be with this ex or get back with her. Or I don't even know how I feel at this point. Yeah. I don't even know what's real and what's not real. I know I'm about to run out of the few hundred dollars I got left. And I, where am I going to go? Where am I going to stay? What am I going to do? You know, I've run my whole life into the ground. And so I just prayed to God to help me mm. right then and there. Yeah, buddy. After praying, I, I immediately thought about that friend that had taken me to AA. I had thought about that podcast that I had listened to the dopey podcast and recovery elevator and all that while I was drinking. I thought about those things and about how AA had worked for them. And I was too ashamed to call my friend that had originally taken me to that meeting, but his sponsor had given me his number and I called his sponsor and uh, asked him to, to come and pick me up and take me to a meeting. And I was ready. It had been almost exactly a year. And, uh, in that year, I had just burnt my entire life down. I'd lost my business. I'd lost my marriage. I'd lost my money. Uh, my daughter wasn't speaking to me. And uh, It's unreal how that escalation happens at times, uh, at that free fall kind of thing where we just completely burn it down. Same thing happened to me, man. My kids were, uh, I, I was divorced. But my kids were legally obligated to come stay with me, and they didn't want to, you know. Yeah. And today I can look back and say, they were right. Right. <laughs> they right. shouldn't want to stay with me either. And in that final year, man, I burned it to the ground, man, dumpster fire. I feel like I needed to bring about a bottom. You know, when I look back on it, I, I, I was just maintaining, but my spirit was so empty that uh and i knew these stories from recovery that i've been listening to on the podcast and i knew that something had to stop me yeah we i had to, to be stopped yeah we had to run into a brick wall and uh and i'm grateful for that now it's hard to see that at the time but uh those guys i called those guys back and they came that night, picked me up, and took me to a meeting. And after the meeting, they drove me home. And they told me that if I was serious about recovery this time, that I would go out to the uh, token club. And they told me where it was. And they said, it's Sunday tomorrow. There'll be meetings out there all day long. And if you're serious about this, you need to, you need to do what we suggest. And we suggest you hit that first meeting and stay there all day long and do everything that that you're told to do and uh man i hit that that place i took a taxi and uh i hit that first meeting and i heard my story i heard this little lady talk there you go. and i heard it man i didn't hear that the first time i came in right i just heard i can't drink anymore and i gotta go to an aa meeting every saturday night for the rest of my life and uh but i heard this lady talk and and uh 
I was still shaking. I was sweating alcohol out. And yeah. uh, I sat in the very back and I uh, listened to this back lady. Row sobriety. Oh, man, I was sick. I go for the front mm. row sobriety today. There were several meetings that day. I, I sat through and I just listened. And I got to this meeting at the two o'clock meeting and i was starting to feel a little bit better i was drinking water i I went out and got some food during a break and came back and at this two o'clock meeting there was a whole bunch of people in there and during that meeting i laughed and i couldn't believe that i laughed somebody said something that that made me laugh and then somebody shared something and it made me cry and uh at the end of that meeting they gave out chips and i got up and i got a silver chip yeah and when I got that silver chip, there was a guy there that recognized me. And I didn't recognize him, but he recognized me. Hmm. And then when I went to sit back down, they gave away a big book. And somebody tapped me and said, go get it. So I got back up and I went and got the big book. And I saw that guy again and he was looking at me and he grabbed me by the hand. He said, I know you, you know, you're Matt Clutter. I know you. And uh, I went and I said, oh, okay, you know, I was nervous. I went and sat back down. And after the meeting was over, he came right up to me and he said, you remember me? We worked together at the Olive Garden years ago. He said, you were alcoholic then. He said, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad you're here. And uh, uh, I've got somebody I want you to meet. And he introduced me to my sponsor. Right. He said, this guy, Kevin, is sponsoring guys. And if if I could, I'd have him as a sponsor. And, and uh, you need a sponsor. And I said, oh, okay. And so we went out and I sat down with him and I asked him to sponsor me. And he was kind of looking. I mean, I was green. I still sweat. I probably smelled like a brewery. Oh, yeah. And he told me if I called him every day for two weeks, he'd consider it, you know. And I had I was so wrapped up with my wife leaving me that uh, that's all oh, I could think me. about. Oh, yeah. And I just I would have talked anybody's head off about this. Yeah. And I called him every night, and I talked to him about that. He, he sat and listened to me. Oh, man, he sat and listened to me. Yep, that's what we do. And uh, helped me to get through that, and he uh, encouraged me to work the steps. And uh, I had I had gained that information from listening to the podcast. I mean, that dopey podcast, it's helped me more I than i could even yeah that, yeah and uh it, it it because and it took i listened to it for two years you know drinking but i still heard it and i knew that this thing worked because of yeah. that that little screw worm finally yeah made its way in yeah and um so i decided i was going to try this at least to get sober enough to where my wife yeah would ask me to come (laughs) back and i could tell her to go fuck herself oh so it was based on resentment but i knew i couldn't quit drinking alone and i was so mad you know and i was never going to feel any differently i was sure of it but i had to dive into the work because i had to stay busy i had gotten hired on as a at a a, for a landscape company um, for some young guys that uh knew me from the old neighborhood that i used to have a successful company in and they started a few years after me and they had grown into a big company and i told them that i was looking for a job and they said they'd be glad to have me now in my mind i was going to be real important over at this job yeah let me show you who i am and uh I started that job on February 15th, 2020, so I had my sobriety dates the, the 25th, so I mean, what's that, 45 days or something? Yeah. Something like that? I don't know. My math was off, but uh, no, it was less than that. 
Uh, yeah. Prove to the world uh, I'm important. You know, somewhere around 30 days or less, and uh, I show up and they gave me a wheelbarrow and uh, told me to go out and mulch with this other guy that hated me. And uh, I hadn't ran a wheelbarrow mulch in years. I'd been, a, I'd been the owner of the company. I pointed yeah. my finger where mulch went, you know. And uh, I'm going through it, and I'm out working hard, man, in the rain, running mulch wheelbarrows. And it was so ego-deflating for yeah. me. And that's, that's what, what I needed. What we need. And uh, I talked to my sponsor about it every day. I come home so dog-tired and stuff and talked to him, and he told me to leave that, that wife alone, you know, yep. and just work on getting sober. Just and, work on you, man. And uh, and so I started to do that, and I started to do his suggestions, and uh, we went through the steps, and it, COVID happened a few weeks later, and they shut everything down, but they didn't shut down that landscape company. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was a lonely period, but I, I started going to – I went to AA meetings until they shut them down, and I was standing outside the token club when they shut down the – the meetings and uh there was a guy there named wade and wade said hey i know of a couple underground meetings i know wade yeah and uh you know i went to at least two every day three on the weekends and i worked that job and i got physically stronger um yeah. i stayed in the step work and uh i fixed that that back room up and it became my bedroom in that house Mm-hmm. And uh, people come to pick me up, take me to meetings, and tell me it smelled like weed in there. And I'd be like, that's because there's 10 pounds of weed in the other room. They say, you smoke weed? And I said, I haven't smoked any weed, no, so I'm not sobriety that. But uh, please don't eat anything in the fridge that has tinfoil around it because <laughs> they make it into butter and all sorts of stuff in there. And that was just part of my story, you know what I mean? Those guys helped me that let me live in that house, and I began to pay rent. And I began to do little side jobs for them. And uh, I fixed that bedroom up clean. I got that rat, you know. <laughs> did you? I did. And, uh, you know, boarded the place up and, and uh, got a buddy of mine to fix the furnace and got heat going in there. And I began to just accept my surroundings, you know, and work hard and uh, go to these underground meetings, you know. I'd go to one that was a campfire meeting right after work, and I'd go in my uniform, and then I'd go to the next one, start at 8 o'clock at night in the warehouse. Yeah. And uh, that's where I got my one-year chip. I've probably been to that other one. You know, when I got to the fourth step... I really missed it. Yeah. When we we first started, you know, I was a few years sober. When they told me that I couldn't meet, you know, I was told that I couldn't meet face-to-face with my brothers. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, hold yeah. the fuck on, man. Yeah, man. Uh, it fucked a lot of people up, man. And and <clears throat> so I started getting into the underground loop and started going, okay, we'll sneak over here and go to this yeah. campfire meeting. And, and for me, it was all about the perception, right? Because for me, the whole world had stopped. I stopped drinking and the whole world stopped too. And God had done all this just for me because uh-huh. now the bars closed that I go to. Yeah. These underground meetings are open. I got nothing to do but work on my recovery. Yeah. You know? And so it just depends on how you look, look at yeah. it. You when know? I got sober, I got put on that, a year of home incarceration. I was mm-hmm. supposed to be in prison for three years. Okay. Three to six years of, of prison. And they offered me a year of home incarceration with an ankle bracelet on. Yeah, I can't beat that. And uh, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I had the same kind of feeling as you yeah. did, you know? And, yeah. 
Of course, this happens for the fucking day. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. The world's come to a stop, right? And uh, but I was able to use that to my benefit because I needed that time to work on myself. And I'm yep. not saying that I wouldn't have been able to do it or wouldn't have gone through it if it was differently. Right. But we have to make the best. I mean, right. that's what this whole thing's about. Friends we have to look at the yeah uh, bachelor parties and Super Bowl and yeah. invite me to places that I couldn't go. And mm-hmm. I had a perfectly good excuse for that, you know, right. so it saved me. And yeah. uh, as the book says, anything you put in front of your recovery, you will lose. Yeah. And, uh, and and I know I'm perfectly capable of fucking up yeah. anything. Yeah. I could have fucked up at home incarceration real easy, but I didn't. I, I, didn't, uh, I, I obeyed it. I was working the steps over the phone with my sponsor, and uh, for the most part, and oh, that's rough. I, uh, but I talk to him every day, you know. Yeah, it's about and, building uh, a relationship with that man, and I have, and and it was good, and and I was struggling with the third step, and I kept trying to explain to him that I, I was from that Christian school. I've always had God in my life, right? God is, I believe in God, and I couldn't figure out what He wanted me to write down on that paper that God was. Hmm. You know, I just wanted the answers, right? I just wanted to get the answers um, that he wanted, you know, so that I could move on to the, yeah. to, to get to the good part of the well, steps. Well, get and me stuff. to pass the test. And he wouldn't let me pass that third step for a little while. And I just, I'm grateful for that now because uh, I wasn't, you know, I was too worried about explaining what God is, even though I don't know, yeah, and being right. willing to say, "Well, okay, I believe in the God now. Just tell me who God is. I believe in it. I believe all the stuff that you say." And instead of just finding God and letting all that stuff go, because I was always that guy that wanted to argue about what God was, and I had a religious background, and so I was good at that. But I never wanted to bring you anything. I just wanted to shoot you down when you were wrong. Right. Me too, man. You know what I mean? I'm me just gonna pull the. You know, I would debate the shit out of you and be yeah. the devil's advocate. Yeah. Well, what about? Yeah. And I'm not even. It? I'm not even making a point. You know, I'm just causing chaos in this and producer and was, of confusion yeah. rather than harmony. But thankfully, he he had patience with me, and I finally came up with with the guy that I could pray to. And uh, it's a tough spot, man. It's probably the God gave me hurdle. a glimpse. So before I even did my fourth step, um, you know, that girlfriend I'd run away in treatment with had left me um, after a couple of years of dating, you know, after we had been through all that traumatic stuff together. And I was I was very much in love with her. And uh, I had started a new Facebook account, you know, that my ex-wife wasn't a part of, you know, and uh, she had found me on Facebook randomly. And she had sent me a message that she needed to see me. And I hadn't seen her in 30 years. You know? uh. And uh, I talked to my sponsor about it. And he said, well, you got to go and find out what she wants. You know? And I had started my fourth step. And I had written, you know, the first four people on my resentment list. And she was number two. And here she contacts me. Yeah. You know? And uh, I go over there to see her. And uh, she, she said she needed some help moving and, and asked me if I had a pickup truck. And I got this whole $500 pickup truck with the gas tank tied with a ratchet strap to it, you know. I'll come over there and help you move something. And I showed up, and she wasn't prepared to move, you know. And there was, there was nothing to move. She just wanted to talk to me. 
And she wanted to apologize to me. Oh, wow. Uh, because she had always felt bad that she had never spoke to me again after she split, right? And I'm listening to her and I'm thinking, yeah, I've been so resentful about that. This has shaped my relationships my whole life, you know? How could you do me that way? And she says to me, she says, but when I saw you smoking that crack and what you turned into, it scared me to death. Mm. And I realized right then and there that all the first resentments that I had were towards the women in my life that had left me. And now I was wanting to put all this onto my wife who had finally left me. But I had chose drugs and alcohol over every one of them, you know. And uh, God just gave me that glimpse so that I could, as I was transferring from the third step to the fourth step, so one, that I could believe that there was some magic in this because that just felt like magic to me. And, uh, you know, and that I could see my part in in that huge resentment that I had, which was the work that I was about to do, you know. And that just led the way for me to just do just a super thorough fourth step. I went through the TSSR book for the fourth step. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, I love the way that that, that, that was written. And it just I, and I'm, I'm I'm really... I'm a fan, man. That's the way I take yeah. my guys through. I think it's... Yeah. The, yeah. It's a... Truly is a thorough fourth step. Yeah. And I did a, a thorough fourth step through that. And uh, I was able to change my way of thinking, man. I was able to find out that, uh, you know, you know what my part was in this and that... Uh, that I really, at this point, I really wanted to get recovery. I no longer wanted to uh, just do it for for the reasons that I had started and and try to get the ex back or um, any of this, you know, get out of trouble. Yeah, put I always say put tail feathers out. I wanted that spiritual experience. You yeah, know? man. And uh, and because of doing that, I, I I had that. You know, because of the prayer work, I had that, and it changed my way of thinking, and and I began to accept the life that I was in, and uh, and uh, my relationship with my daughter began to come back, and and they promoted me at work to where I was in charge of a little crew, and I was back to cutting grass, and it was easier than running that mulch wheelbarrow, and I got to do that for a year, and uh, and that and relationship they, yeah. with our daughters and yeah. our kids, man, that was real important to me, man. That was real important to me. I'll tell you a story about that. The last time she saw me drinking, um, my truck had broke down on the freeway. And uh, all I had in my truck was a 12-pack of beer and an Evan Williams carry pack. Mm. And uh, I couldn't leave that bottle behind. So I put it in my coat pocket. And it was the coldest day of the year. It was about 10 days before I got sober. And... uh I call her and I said, I'm right by your exit on Zorn Avenue. You got to come pick me up. It's the middle of the day. Everybody else is at work. It's, I'm going to freeze to death out here. So she comes to pick me up. And as I'm walking down the freeway towards her exit and the cold and the wind and the cars are buzzing by, all I can think about is that bottle of liquor. Yep. And I thought, uh, don't take a drink of that liquor. She'll see you drinking it when she comes over the horizon. You know what I mean? She'll catch you drinking it. And uh, that'll be shameful, you know. But I couldn't. I was powerless over it, man. Yeah. And I was cold. And I thought, man, I just, I'm just gonna take one drink before she comes. And sure enough, when she comes over the hill, man, <laughs> I'm standing in the middle Gets of I seven, I seventy one on a Monday afternoon, at twelve thirty in the afternoon, tilting a bottle of bourbon up. Mm. 
And uh, when she pulled up on me, man, the look in her face, man, I, 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 I hope to never see that yeah. again in my life. And, uh, you know, it was it was then that I knew that I had to do something soon. She gave me, gave me a ride home and she told me she didn't want to see me until I got better. And I don't know how many days that was before I got sober, but it wasn't very many. Maybe a week, maybe two weeks. That time's a, a bit of a blur yeah, there. Yeah, I get it, yeah. But, uh, There's a big veil yeah. Yeah. between my sobriety date back and the, as time goes forward, I can see backwards better. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Some of that but our relationship was good today. She moved to Arizona and I get to talk to her uh, awesome. as often as she wants to. And I've got to go there and see her. Awesome. And uh, she got to see me get sober before she moved in town. And she had to go to the hospital one time and I came and picked her up at night and took her to the hospital. She had a concussion. And she said, it's so weird that you're even driving at night. Yeah. And she said, it's so weird that you're the parent that can take me to the hospital. Yeah. You know? She came and saw me get my one-year chip. She cried. Did she? Nice. Yeah, man. Fuck yeah. Beautiful experience, man. And, uh, you know, I've gotten to... Um, they opened the clubs back up a little bit after I got my one-year, and, uh, you know, um, the job promoted me, and then they promoted me again, and then I got to build some tiny homes for them and do some neat stuff around the shop, and... I'm up for promotion tomorrow. Nice. And, uh, you know, I'll have four years this January if I can stay sober on my uh, 50th birthday. Hell yeah. And, uh, you know, things are just coming back into my life. I've just got, you know, I met a great girlfriend in the rooms and we've been together for a couple of years and uh, she takes women through the steps and I take guys through the steps. I just gave away a one-year chip. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it just filled me full of joy to see that spark come on in that guy's eyes, man. And yeah. he came in and told me he didn't believe in God. And right. I said, yeah. man, you ain't got to, man. And Max will be here in just three days, Wednesday night. He's oh, gonna man, he's going to crush it. That guy's so well spoken. too, man. Uh, but what a, and we're friends. You know, we went to a meeting this morning, and we're, we've become friends. I'm friends with my sponsor. And, yeah, and, man, uh, it is. There's a bond that happens, and that is unbelievable that you be create this glue that happens among us mm-hmm. um, that it, you just, you, words will not explain I'm working with a couple of guys that are newcomers and uh, they're going they've started the steps with me and I'm so excited to see what happens in their life yeah, you know man. and to see the light come on and to see all the blessings that they'll get through through the sobriety and through that spiritual experience working the steps I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, man. I have a ton of uh, those guys come in through and sit in your chair, man. There's nothing yeah. that lights me up more than to hear mm-hmm. uh, the changes happening in their life, you know, and, and and that's what's next. Yeah. What's next is to, uh, it's the Joseph Campbell hero story. You know Joseph Campbell? Mm-mm. Take him out. But it's, uh, I'm on battle this dragon and defeat it and then I'm going to show you how to and that's the completion of the circle of the hero's journey is to have that problem and and then go back and show people how you defeated that dragon Yeah. and alcoholism and addiction is definitely a fucking dragon 
I went through a step study here in town and a guy named Patrick that takes guys through the steps. Yeah, I know Pat. It was Patrick. my second second year, um, the second time working the steps, and uh, man, I really, really helped me that second second time. I I encourage my guys to go through the steps again in either that format or a different format. Go do it with somebody else. With somebody else, man. Whatever they've got to do. Different, yeah. You'll get a different insight on this work. That's right. And I think that uh, that's really when I begin to to practice these principles in my affairs and realize that it had so much more to do with with drinking than it did to becoming a way of life for me, you know, and handling the problem, the everyday problems and, and the, the headaches that I create in my own head because my best way of thinking is messed up still, Yep. you know. I mean, I told you they were thinking about their, I'm up for promotion at work, and when they called me into the office to tell me they were going to give me a bonus and a promotion, I thought they were going to let me go. Yeah. Yep. And I, I was mad at him all day before I got there. I'm looking out didn't go yeah. in there and yeah, tell him to fuck off. Before. We need to see you today, and I'm making up all kinds of oh, baloney yeah. In my about mind, what. you wouldn't believe what I come up with. Yeah. And I how dare him and and all these things. And, 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 and these guys are just trying to help me. And they're just, you know, they don't see what I think they see. They see uh, uh, somebody that shows up to work on time yeah. and that has a good attitude. And that yep. all the things that sobriety has given me, you know. That's happy, joyous, and free. Yep. You know? I'm a huge fan of Scott Lee. You know, if you heard of him, but he's another guy to look up. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a list going now. And man. he says, uh, I pray that my sponsees outgrow me spiritually. Yeah. And I hope that, and I, I, I grab a hold of that, that the guys that I work with, I hope that they need to move on. That means I've given them what I could give them. And they are still searching for more. Yeah. And uh, you, you just never know what that more is going to be. This, uh, I would encourage you to start making notes of these things in your phone, you know, yeah. wherever. Uh, I have a miracle list in my phone of these things that shouldn't really have happened. Yeah. The reconnection with my kids. The severing of my employment that gives me better employment yeah uh, my getting home incarceration instead of years of prison because I was ready to kill myself yeah I wasn't going to prison uh, I wasn't uh, I was already thinking of ways to off myself right before that and I thought well you know, a lot of times they give these people a couple of days to get their affairs in order. And if they give me them a couple of days to get my affairs in order. And uh, <clears throat> and my point there is is that these things build up and I forget about them. Mm-hmm. They, they're so far in the dust, just like some of this other stuff. And so we have this conversation like we do yeah. today um, to write them down because they are miracles. That's good advice, Dan. You know, Patrick told us when we finished that step study that um, we get peace from working the 12 steps, but true joy comes from working with another alcoholic. Amen. And, uh, you know, I got to meet with a sponsee today that's working on his fourth step and a, and another one that's working on his first step yesterday. And uh, both these guys are fired up for Alcoholics Anonymous, and Amen. I'm fired up to, to take them through the steps, man. I'm so grateful that guys yep. are asking me to help them. You know, I can never repay Kevin who took me through the steps. Yeah, man. But I can, 
I can do what he did for me for yep. somebody else. And that's all a sponsor asks of you. Yeah. Carry the message. Yeah. Continue man. to take people through this work. Yeah. And, um, you know, that uh, inevitable deal of like when the whirlwind of going through the steps and feeling what you feel, it's like, what's next? What's next? All right, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, what's next is take that guy through the work. Right. Then take that guy and that guy and that guy. And um, there's somebody, it's like, I don't know, and numbers aren't right. Don't quote me, don't pin me to the wall on this, but 80% of the relief was take was going through the steps. Or no, 20% of the relief was going through the steps. The other 80% is taking other dudes through the work and watching them turn their lives around. Yeah, it's really helpful. I'm grateful that, that I get an opportunity to do that at this point. I prayed for sponsees and uh and uh, and once again the podcast comes up because i get an alert from the sobercast podcast as soon as i get done praying that i need a sponsee and uh the alert said that today's topic was how to get a sponsee yeah and it was a list of things that i need to do because nobody's going to knock on my door and ask me to sponsor i gotta share i gotta show up to newcomer meetings and 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 i gotta ask to speak and and uh and, and I did those things and then I, I started getting sponsees and I'm fortunate that I've had a, a, a few sponsees, you know, I got to give that chip away. That was the first time I got to give that chip away. Over. Oh, nice. And I, I'm looking forward to giving more away, but I'm not as ego driven. That helped me to realize that the difference between him and the guys that didn't get their one year chip or, or stay sober was the, the honesty and the willingness that he brought to yeah. that. Man, as time goes by, like, I don't know, last few guys that I've had the opportunity to sponsor, which, like I said, but maybe before the microphone got turned on, it's been quite a many. Uh, I start realizing that, like, uh, this has nothing to do with me. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's the work. Right. It's God. It's higher power. Yeah. And uh, sometimes I worry about what if I'm doing it right. You know, I'm falling short with a guy. Right. Um, I can let that go today and know that if I just, if they will just, my listeners have heard this a million times. I can guarantee a man or a woman that if they will work these steps, their lives will get better. I can guarantee that. Yeah. Like it's guaranteed as death and taxes are. If you would ask me four years ago, I, I would have really sold myself short, man. Yeah, and how well things are going for me, and and uh, not just in the uh, material world, but just uh, you know inside my heart and inside my head. And uh, doesn't mean that I don't have uh, bad days or or struggles, but I but if I stop long enough to think about it, I have solutions, you know. Yep. And uh, I can walk through life with a with a completely different attitude and a completely different demeanor and um january 1st of 2023 was my eight year sobriety date and my daughter texted me and asked me if she could come over and talk to me 
And I said, well, what's going on? She said, I need to talk to you. And she come over here and she sat right on that couch right there and bust up in tears that she was uh, addicted to fentanyl. Yeah. And I don't know how I, ha- I don't have the power right. to deal with that. Mm-hmm. But the 12 steps gave me uh, the power to deal with that. Wow. And, uh, and she stumbled out of the gates just like we all do, right? Right. And I have to tell her mom and remind her mom that, you know, none of us get this, or very few of us get this right out of the gates. Yeah, you know, it's her journey. And, and there's really nothing we can do. Support her, love sure. her. Love is the only medicine. Well, you've shown her that it works. Yep, yep. Yeah, I wonder about that. Like, it took eight years for her to see that, you know, it works. Well, for might her have to taken some time for her to to get through her part too. You know, we don't turn alcoholic overnight. Although it feels like I I did pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But just those things, and I don't know how to do that. And this, um, my mom passed away when I was fourteen months sober. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to do that either. And yeah. and every single time, um, my fraternity of men come in with their arms and supported me. And so that I could figure out a way through that. And I can't imagine without those arms being there to catch me what I'd have done. Yeah. Time and time again. I'm still making amends, and I told you I had a a very thorough four step, which made for a very very thorough ninth step, and uh, um, I'm still working on them. Um, man, they're good. You know, I got to make an amends with my brother I hadn't sp- spoke to in ten years this Thanksgiving, and uh, I think we both cried a little bit. Hell yeah! And it was a beautiful experience, yep. and uh, and I just love him. And, ninth step promises. I always yeah. yeah. I got, a little, I got a few little hiccups and maybe judgmental, but guys that are 30 days sober and they say the promises are already coming true. I know those are the ninth. Yeah, all right. You got some work to do before you get to those. Anybody that quits drinking and drugging that has a, pro- a problem, is your life's going to get better immediately. But uh, I think that uh, not until I work the steps the second year um, did I really have the have the full experience? I mean, I c- continue to have experiences, and when I, you know, got to make that amends on Thanksgiving, I had a spiritual yeah. experience. When I got to give that chip away uh, last Monday night, I had a spiritual experience, yeah. and I don't want to be done having spiritual experiences or think that I've got this. I don't have this yet. I'm still learning. I'm four years sober after thirty years, from fifteen to forty five, of putting one in me every day yep. to change the way that I feel. I'd be, uh, I'd be an idiot to sit here and tell you I got it all figured out. Yep, I smell yeah. more. Yeah, I got that from uh, Mark Houston. I smell more, and uh, as long as we keep on walking this walk and doing the things that the twelve steps ask us to do, um, more is available to us. Yeah. Any any final thoughts? Any. any Closing, uh, what, what I used to say because it was Steve uh, Ranella, who's a hunting podcast guy. Uh, 
and I can't I can't think of the word he used to use. Damn it! Any final thoughts for the newcomer that might be looking to see if he if he, if he, if this is for him or not? Final thoughts for the newcomer. Um, if you've had enough and you're done, take the suggestions, you know. Um, that's what I did the second time I came in. Um, between that first time and that second time, I just had so much pain. I'd had enough pain that I was finally able to drop my ego and just do some things that other people asked me to do. And they seemed weird at the time. And now when I'm, when I'm asking people to do things as simple as give me a call every day or send me a sobriety date in the morning or say the prayers over and over say the prayers every day it'll change your way of thinking you know you don't have to figure out how all that is and 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 exactly what god is but you can have a relationship with god but it starts with that uh with those mantras of saying those prayers you don't have to dream them up they're all written down in these books for you they're already right there you can just recite them and you can and it'll change your way of thinking and things will get better and uh you know quit doing it all everybody lately i've been talking about reservations and and i did the same thing i held on to some drugs that i had that uh until i had like 60 days sober before i got rid of them and they began to haunt me you know but i had a reservation that i'm just trying to work on stopping drinking I, i might go back to this and you just owe it to yourself to just be sober for a year and work the steps you know I mean, you owe it to yourself to just don't worry about never being able to smoke pot again. Just don't smoke pot this year and work the steps. Yeah. You know, don't take a pain pill this year and work the steps. Just be sober for one period in your life and work the steps sober. And then if you want to go back and do anything, it's all still be waiting for you. The bar yep. will be open. Yep. You know, and yep. uh, where you find your money. If you come to the AA and work these steps, if you don't like it, you can have all your money back. That's right. That's right. I really appreciate you having me on today. And it's a uh, great story, Matt. Man, no, I dig hanging out with you, dude. Yep. I dig you the most. It's, man. it's it's uh sitting here on this side of the microphone is nothing less than spectacular to get to hear these people tell their stories and uh, and uh, you know there's some people that pulled up the driveway I never even seen them before. And by the time I end the podcast, it happens, I have a new friend. Yeah. And uh, that's cool stuff. Yeah, that is cool, man. Yeah. yeah. And and I have a new friend today, even though we knew each other before now. Oh, yeah, brother. Thank you very much. Um, I'll go ahead and say these things online. Sometimes I clip them out and put them on afterwards. But uh, if you're not having a blast in your sobriety you're not doing something right and thank you for allowing me and matt to uh participate in our recoveries in this manner tonight peace out peace Just who they wanted